What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Dr. Devin Walker, and I'm here with Javier Wallace, and we are Black with Blue Passports. This podcast explores the impact that international travel has on Black Americans' pursuit of liberty and racial justice. This podcast is sponsored by DDCE Global at the University of Texas at Austin, with support from the World Walker Foundation and Black Austin Tours. And welcome back to another episode of Black with Blue Passports with your boy, Dr. Devin Walker and Big Javi. Today, Big Javi is turning in his dissertation to his committee. So I'm excited that he's not here. That's a huge, huge moment for him, man. I'm excited. Uh, so uh, I get to enjoy the pleasure of having Caesar on here, get to interview him by myself. So Caesar was a student at UT Austin. I've known him for, I don't know, maybe five, six years. We haven't necessarily been in contact over the last couple of years, but I definitely remember him as a student. Um, and I'm so impressed with everything that he's been able to accomplish um, since he graduated and just the man he's turned into that. I was like, man, let's make a, 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 a let's create some space in this idea of black with a blue passport, right? But what does it mean to be Latinx with a blue passport, right? So Caesar is a Latinx identifying Man, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna explore that. So I'm happy to have you here, Caesar. Uh, how you feeling today, my man? I'm feeling great, Dr. Devin Walker. I'm feeling I'm excited to talk to you. I'm excited that you came on to my podcast. We had a great conversation, and um, I'm excited to flip the script because I don't get interviewed often. <laughs> I know. Switch it up a little bit, right? So, so a dose of Caesar, right? That's what the podcast is called. Yes, dose of Caesar. So tell me, how did you even? come up with the idea of having a podcast and why a dose of Caesar? Where, where was your mind at? Yeah. Um, junior year of college, uh, I was living with one of my best friends and, and we both, I told him, dude, we should start a podcast. I'd been listening to podcasts a lot. And he was like, yeah, we should. Um, and so immediately it was one of those things where I knew if I didn't take some sort of action, we weren't going to do it. So I ordered these two terrible mics. And uh, a week later, we started our podcast. It was called, uh, I forget what it was called. Oh, it, was, it was called Let's Get Real with Daniel and Caesar. We would okay. go on there and we, we'd just talk, right? And uh, we'd go on there every week. I enjoyed it a lot. It was so much fun. Um, and people were enjoying it. But it was just that, that enjoyment. I was like, wow, it's amazing. Um, then after that, me and my best friend, uh, we kind of, we, I think he went to study abroad in Germany. Um, and, uh, I felt, uh, I felt like I still wanted to get on the mic cause I felt it was therapeutic. And so I got back on like 2019 on my own and I just started recording. Oh, and you go back to my first episodes and they're terrible. They're terrible. It's just Caesar <laughs> talking about what is life? What is love? Oh man. It makes me cringe. Philosophizing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. It's terrible. I get, I blush thinking about it, but I kept them up because I think it's important to see the journey. Um, and, uh, and I just kept, I, I wanted to see how, how, uh, consistent I could be. So I did a podcast every day for 30 days. The first 30 days I started dose of Caesar. I would get on there. I'd do five minutes. I'd do an hour, whatever it was. And, um, I really liked it. I really liked it. And I was uploading it and I had a friend who kept listening to, to them. <laughs> she was so supportive and, um, moved to LA. And I just started talking more about the lessons that I'd learned, you know, in all my study abroads and, and living in LA on my own. Um, and, um, 
then I came back to Austin and I started, I kept doing it. It was just me on the mic. And finally I interviewed one of my friends there. It was my first, uh, my, that girl who kept listening to my podcast and that was even more. What's up? Said you had to bring her on, right? Yeah. That was even more enjoyable. Yeah. And then I just started talking to more friends and uh, this brings us to 2021. Um, I had, I had built the habit of reaching out to people to ask questions. And I'm, I've reached out, reaching out to like CEOs, um, uh, my favorite um, authors of books, because my biggest mentor was Tim Ferriss. And, and he had this habit of reach out to people who you think is impossible to reach. Mm. And I started to see how like UFC fighters would email me back or um, just the people who I thought were impossible to reach. Who was the and most impossible person that you've reached? There was this guy, his name's Derek Sivers. He's like, uh, he sold the, um, a company called uh, CD Baby. And you can just email him. Um, and he, he replies to every email. <laughs> but really? he's, uh, he's like, uh, he sold it for millions and millions of dollars. Like he's, and he's just out in some other country just living his life. Um, so he reached that back. Uh, Tim Kennedy, a UFC fighter who was jacked. And he was almost, he fought like some of the, biggest welterweights i think that are still in the ufc like yo romero he emailed me back i asked him for workout advice and i was like man what's like your program and he replied did you on a podcast i didn't i didn't because he's like super busy i don't know i haven't asked him i haven't asked him i <laughs> but he replied but the idea of reaching out the idea of reaching out and i wanted it to be a habit and i got to the point where i was like i'm gonna reach out to dr moore to see if he would come on my podcast because dr moore changed my life mm. and he was like yeah, of course. I'd love to. And that opened my world. I was like, what? People would talk to me on my podcast. Then I reached out to you, Dr. Lou, and it's been going on ever since. Now we're in episode 160. And crazy. yeah, That's we're crazy. hoping to build it. So, so, so let me, let me back up. Um, there's two questions I want to ask you. I'm, I'm mm. going to go with the latter since you just brought them up. You said Dr. Moore changed your life. How did he Dr. do Moore that? Changed my life. I walk into UT as a freshman and by the, you, I don't know what it was, luck, whatever you want to call it. I didn't know Dr. Moore, but senior year of high school, I got an email, like you want to join Gateway Scholars? Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like, what, what is Gateway Scholars? And they were like, all you have to do is say yes. <laughs> and I was going to say no. I don't know why, but I was like, sure. And that led me to be like, we had the Gateway Scholars allowed me to choose, chose some of my classes for me, made it easy to get other classes. And one of the classes they chose for me was Dr. Moore's Race in the Age of Obama at the time. And so I know nothing. And I walk into Dr. Moore's big auditorium with like a hundred other students and you're the TA there. And um, and what? That class, that class was like 500 students. Oh, is it 500? Between two. So it's like oh. 250 and 250. Yeah. And uh, I walk in and it's one of those, it's a typical, like it's my first a big class. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is college. Like we got so many students in here. And Dr. Moore is just a, like a, such a powerful speaker. He owns the room and he doesn't even need a mic. And immediately he captivates you. And you're like, what is this guy talking about? <laughs> um, and I was just by everything he was talking about. It was just so, I was so like captured by um, everything he was saying. And to be honest, he reminded me of a, one of my first mentors, online mentors, his name's Eric Thomas. He's like this motivational oh, yeah. speaker I would listen yeah. to. ET. Yeah. And uh, and I was like, this is my Eric Thomas. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, I can't believe like 
I have the opportunity to listen to what this guy's talking about. Cause he would say, he would make me think of things I had never thought about. Like, you know, why are you so afraid to chase what you want? And why are you so focused on money? When, if you do the good, if you do good work, the money's going to come. And anyway, I decided like, uh, I need to follow, I need to be more around this guy more. And then he said he had a, a program in South Africa. Um, and to be honest, I had heard about it before, but I was like, I don't want to go to Africa. But then Dr. Moore said, I'm going to Africa. And I was thinking, I just need to be more around Dr. Moore more. And then I, I remember anywhere, huh? <laughs> anywhere. I, I could have followed that guy anywhere. And I go, I ask you after class, like, I'm like, Oh my God. Okay. I'm nervous. I'm like, Devin, like, uh, I don't know any professors, man. How do I, how do I like, uh, how do I find one? And I was hoping you would just be like, I got you, man. Like I'll introduce you to this professor. And you're like, get to work, my man. <laughs> you're like, you got this. And I was like, oh shit. Like, I really have to, I, I have to get over this fear of talking to professors. Yeah. And yeah. I end up going with Dr. Moore and that was my first experience abroad. And that was crazy. It opened my eyes to see that there's power in understanding different cultures. Yeah. So you're so that was your first experience abroad. That was my first experience abroad. And you're from El Paso. Had you been mm -hmm. to Mexico? I had been a like four times because my parents were very concerned about the violence that was going on across mm -hmm. the border. So they would never let me go. But my girlfriend in high school was always going to Mexico. So I went a couple of times for a few hours with her. So oh, I wouldn't really consider very brief. No, very brief. I I never spent the night over there. Like it was just oh, wow. my parents wow. wouldn't let me. It was just we would go watch a movie or something. And it was interesting because it was a different world. But for some reason you remember most about going, you know, crossing the border border. It was waters, right? Yeah. Yeah. What do you remember most about that time of your life and, and those experiences in Juarez? I remember being nervous. I remember very much being nervous because of everything that I had heard about Juarez, right? And I had never gone. And I was just scared that like something was gonna happen to me, you know? Even though I was just, it was that fear, right? You just hear the news over and over and over again. And, and I feel like I'm going into the most dangerous city in the world, which at the time apparently it was. Uh, so I was just scared of getting shot or something. <laughs> I was really nervous. I remember my hands sweating when I would like, <laughs> when we were crossing the border. And then after going there, you say about three, four times, how did you feel about it after? Were you still like as nervous each time? No, not as nervous, but I was a little on edge because I was aware I'm not at home. At least I didn't feel, I'm so close to home, but I'm not. Like this is a different country. There's a border. There's a literal, there's a border that would stop me from just going home that can stop me. And I was very conscious of that. Uh, so, so yeah, I just, uh, what was your question again? I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just wondering, like, you know, what do you remember about those experiences? Have you been back since? I have not. I have you not have been not back been since. Back. But, you know, one of the things that I do want to do for a period of my life, at least for a year, I'd like to go live in a city in Mexico for a year. Because um, I, uh, there's a, you ever heard of the book, The Art of War? No, The War of Art. The War yeah. of Art. It's not The Art of War. It's a white little book written by Stephen Pressfield. And, uh, I emailed him to ask him, what is, uh, you know, if you've traveled all over the world, do you have any recommendations of, of cultures that you think young people should experience? And he said, I haven't traveled that much outside the United States, but I've been to like Europe, but I do believe that 
all people would benefit from going back to where their heritage is, like where mm-hmm. they, their their ancestors came from. And, um, and I don't know, I, I've been thinking about, I do want to go reconnect with where like my, I guess my, my ancestors came from. Where are your people from? Uh, from my parents are from Juarez. So I, I think, I don't know, you know, I've never explored. I know that they're all from the Chihuahua area, which is like the Chihuahua state, but I don't know how, where, where, where else they were from. Like, I don't know where that's where it stops at my grandparents. I know they're from Chihuahua. I don't know well, much. Caesar, that would be a dope podcast, man, on your podcast, interviewing your parents about where they're from and what they remember. Wow. I haven't even thought of that. Hey, that would be mad interesting. Uh, I, similarly, man, I think it's super important. You know, when I think about international education and study abroad programs and how do we get more students of color, underrepresented students into these programs, into these spaces, is that we got to design programs that, that fit their needs, right? And many, most, not most, but many students of color, the research would suggest, want to go to places where they're, an, they're connected to ancestrally. Right. So black students, you know, we, you know, might not know where what country in Africa where your people are from. You could guess probably Western Africa, but still just being on the continent. Right. Just yeah. being back. Mm-hmm. And similarly, right, I think going to Mexico and spending some time down there for you could be so powerful and dope. Um, Absolutely. So I encourage that, man. I mean, maybe you would start with the podcast to your parents and, and engage in them and they would love that, I'm sure. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Um, definitely on my list to do and will be done before I die. There you go. Love it. So you talked about some of the narratives, right? The tropes around Juarez and, and, and the fear that was associated with going there. However, mm-hmm. you decided to study abroad in mm-hmm. South Africa. Yeah. In Cape Town, which Cape Town in and of itself is a very dynamic city, but it is also one of the most socioeconomically segregated cities in the world. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. So while parts of the city, most tourists go to are beautiful and, you know, mountains and beaches and, you know, just gorgeous, not too very far from, you know, the coastal area where most of the white folks say there, you know, are these huge townships, right. With like yeah. <clears throat> people in townships, you know, mm-hmm. with really lacking resources obviously due to the apartheid government that, you know, you have an apartheid government. So for so many years, even once black people did, you know, gain uh, political power, it doesn't mean that they're able to disrupt and undo these structures that have been with them for so long. Right. So the inequity is still very visible throughout the Cape flats. Right. And violence, right. There's a lot of violence and there's a lot of crime and all these things that are also quite similar to maybe the narratives that we have of Juarez. So mm-hmm. did you hear, did, were you familiar with that about Cape Town when you decided to go and, and how did you grapple with that? No, I, about violence. Was I familiar with the violence? Like, yeah. The stigma, the stereotype that often surrounds Africa in general, but mm. also specifically like the Cape flats of, of South Africa. You see, I didn't know about Cape Town that it was dangerous. Like I just thought of, Africa, right? Like what I knew about Africa was like, I thought, I don't know why, like the jungle or like, you know, like really yeah, rural. <laughs> like what? <laughs> I said, we, we do know why, right? There's, there's, yeah. there's tropes. Yes. That if, and, and things are changing slowly, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, 
Wakanda was, was is part of the changing of narratives, right? But typically there's these tropes. If if a movie, if something is going to talk about the continent yeah. of Africa, they're going to fall in line with certain things, right? The jungle. Yeah. Uh, animals. Animals. I was thinking uh, like uh, armies. There. Yeah, like 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 child armies and stuff. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, right. And like a lot of poverty. Poverty, you know, huts. And yes. these are the tropes. So it's like if if you do see an image of Africa, it's gonna be it's gonna speak to one of these things that the audience as Westerners, oh, that makes sense for what we think of Africa, right? Yeah. yeah. What, what you wouldn't see, what we would rarely ever see, is a picture of snow in Africa, right? Mm. A picture of beautiful cities. Yeah. You just think oh, buildings. You're like, wait, because it throws you off. Like, that's not how I'm supposed to know Africa. That's not what I've been told Africa is. Yeah. So all that to say, yes, there's a reason why you thought about the jungle when you and, and you, you know, you've been taught to think that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we all have been taught to think, yeah, Africa jungle. Yeah. With everything you see on. Go the ahead, my man, go ahead. <laughs> everything that goes viral. You remember Coney 2012 or something like that? It oh, was yeah. like. You remember that? That's what I was thinking. Like Africa. <laughs> um, I, but I, I mean, you don't, I didn't take into account that it's the biggest continent in the world and that there's like, that's a lot of land. Um, but uh, I, I wanted to talk about, so I didn't know what to expect really, but I really would, I, I didn't care honestly. Cause I knew if like Dr. Moore was going, I was like, I think I'll be good. <laughs> like if Dr. Moore's going, I think I'm going to be good. Like I'll do, I kind of trust Dr. Moore. And it's interesting because Dr. Liu uh, wrote a paper or he, he, he did a study where they found the same thing that most kids who study abroad will do it if they, um, if they feel close to a professor and they feel like they're going to be taken care of abroad. Yeah. Um, and to speak on the poverty, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, the, you know, we went to townships and the few miles away was just like the city and, and the Lamborghini dealerships. And, and these townships are just super, super poor. And it was kind of, it was, wow. It, it made me say like, wow. But it w- I don't think it was as shocking because I grew up in El Paso and, and there's a part in El Paso where you, right next to the University of Texas at El Paso, you can see the border. You're on the border and there's like a, a, a mountain on the other side. And on that mountain, right in front of the university is one of the poorest communities in Juarez. And it kind of, it's a similar scene, not, not as crazy, but it's like, wow, we got a university over here, like a big university in, in West Texas. And then you have like these people living in kind of like a similar houses that are made of, it, it's, it was worse, I think in, in, in South Africa, especially when we went to that place where that was modeled after the movie, what was it area, the, the alien movie? District six. District six. And where it's just a sea of, of houses that are made of like, uh, like sheet metal and stuff. That was, uh, yeah, that one, that one was wild. When I saw that, when you couldn't see the end of a township, I was like, wow, that's crazy. And you know, how did, 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 would you say that your experience out there, did it, did it provide you additional context? Did it, did it give you some tools or mm-hmm. to help you better understand maybe what you just talked about, like, you know, UTL Paso and looking across the border and seeing this really poor part of town? Did, did it help you better understand that? Or was that even more confusing? Or how did you, you know, make sense or put those two things in a conversation? 
it did make me understand that because of where I grew up in the United States, it, it was the beginning of my understanding of like, I won the lottery. I was born in the castle. Like I, because I'm in the United States, I have so many opportunities that a border, a line in the sand um, takes away from, from other people, you know, just because somebody was born a mile away from where I was born, like, or in, in Juarez, right? They don't have the same opportunities or some of them don't uh, as I do, or just because somebody was born in, in South Africa in a township, they, uh, yeah, they're not going to get, I, 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 I began to understand how, like, I kind of have a duty to do something big for the world. That's what I told myself. I have to do something big for the world because I've been given so many resources and it's like to not do something big for the world would be for me, it would not have been worth living. I think like, it's just like, I feel like maybe I've been put here for a purpose yeah. and it's like, uh, you got to level out the playing field somehow. You know, my, my, my dad would often tell me, uh, before he passed, um, like one of the things I just remember a lot growing up was he would say, you know, to whom much is given, much is expected. And I think that's, a, yeah. that's in the Bible or something mm. to that extent is in the Bible. I didn't grow up reading the Bible. Um, so I thought this was just like his own innovative, you know, like yeah. theory on the world, but, but it stuck with me and, and, and it came into my mind right now, as you're talking, right. It's like, when you realize, wow, I have actually been afforded a lot of opportunities. I have a lot of resources at my disposal. I have free education, K through 12. There's so many colleges and universities, mm -hmm. whether they be community college, four-year college in this country. You don't even have to have a high school degree to enroll yeah. in college, right? That it's like, wow, what do I do with this, right? What, what do I do with these privileges, with these opportunities, with this platform? And, and, you know, sometimes traveling abroad can make you come face to face with that. So once you had that kind of like, wham, right, you are American and it comes with resources. How did that influence you? It made my, uh, I wanted to be an entrepreneur uh, in high school because I, I wanted to make a lot of money so that my family would never have to worry about money. I had an aunt who died uh, uh, from cancer. And, and I just remember we had to scrape to together money to, for, to pay for her treatments. And that was one of the things that was like, that was a problem. We had to like raise money because my aunt couldn't get her treatments. And I, I was like, wow, like the problem was already that sh she already had cancer and now we had to worry about making money. And so I told myself, I'm going to make so much money that nobody in my family is ever going to have to worry about that. And it kind of expanded when I went abroad, I was like, wow, it's beyond my family. It's like, I have to be an entrepreneur and I have to build stuff so that I can offer more opportunities and build more bridges for people who are perhaps born in a township. And I admire so much people who, you know, people like Google and all these companies who, who make resources free. Like, yeah, they do some stuff like, uh, yes, like our privacy is taken away and stuff. And we're, we're figuring it out as we go. But at the same time, now, if you have access to the internet, you have access to the, like all the knowledge in the world that's ever been known whether but it's then it becomes a problem of how do you decipher what's what's right and what's wrong right what's true and what's what's fake but at the same time you have all the knowledge at your fingertips and and i was that to me is like wow that's admirable because it's kind of like i see perhaps a point where we can get to where it doesn't matter where you're born 
you have the the same opportunities. I mean that 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 and that's a utopia, right? That's perhaps it's not possible, but it would be nice, you know. But I, yeah, but like the I fact think, that mm-hmm. I think the you know being in this COVID situation, right, and, and continuing to see the way in which it develops week after week, month after month. Yeah, you know the the, the inequity is immense, right? I, yeah. I I read something the other day, and this is this stat might be outdated, but it was in February and it said something about like, you know, the United States has 4% of the global population, but we had already been administered about 28% of the vaccines. Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, you know, that's not equitable. That's not fair. And now there's these discourses around like, oh, a travel, you know, a passport where it highlights if you've been, you know, if you've had the vaccine, and then it's like, who's going to get to travel? Yeah. How is that going to further disenfranchise certain countries, right? And, and now there's these big businesses not allowing companies in the, the developing part of the world to develop their vaccines because it's mm-hmm. not going to be in their financial interest. And it's just so much, you know, inequity is going to be with us for a while. And, yeah. and I love the idea of like, you know, one day, hopefully that doesn't matter where you're born at equal and ample opportunities. I just don't think I'll see that in my lifetime. However, I am committed in my lifetime to making that happen, to Mm -hmm. to being part of the the drive to create more equitable opportunities for all people, all bodies, uh, despite where you grew up, despite your race, despite your sexual orientation, all those things. But I don't think I'll necessarily see that in my lifetime. Um, Yeah. Yeah, we're going to say? Yeah, it's a ways away. I think it's... And perhaps it's just an idea that I have in my head where like, maybe I can help push towards that. Or, um, but I think more, as you were talking, I, I realized, you know, it's not because there is a lot of flaws in capitalism or like entrepreneurship, right? Like it's, you know, there's like moves like that where you're just making business moves to make more money. And I think what I'm more, what I'm in, becoming more interested in is just technology, which I know goes hand in hand with making money. But uh, I mean, I just, I just think, Technology is a beautiful thing. Like it, it, it really, it's a way to help, help level the playing field. Yeah. It depends whose hands it's in, you know, for me, it yeah. depends whose hands it's in. And like even AI right now and like, you know, decoding people's faces and it's like, how, who's going to be using it and how is it going to be used? Yeah. Um, I, I do believe technology is a beautiful thing, but I, I generally, I think that the history of the world has showed us that, that it's the mm-hmm. most powerful people who oftentimes have the most access to the most technology and those people oftentimes go out of their way to reinforce the status quo and the the structure in which we live. And then we'll use that technology to further reinforce the systems in which we live and and which determine Mm -hmm. how we live. But that's a whole, that's a whole nother podcast. We're going to go down. (laughs) I want to talk to you more about, so you went to South Africa, you you, kind of broadened your mind. You're starting to think about inequity on a global level, not just, you know what I'm saying at the border in which you saw growing up in El Paso, but now you're starting to think about these things globally, starting to think about what can I Caesar do to contribute to more, more equity within this world. Um, And you, and you kept traveling, right? where else did you go and how were those experiences? Yeah, I kept traveling because I saw I saw how how many of my fears were kind of dropped by like me simply going to another country. Like I went to another country and it was scary. 
to leave all my friends and go with, although I was with 60 other students, um, it was scary to leave everyone I knew. And then I realized I got over there and I was like, Oh, I make new friends. Like I, I, I just, you make new friends. And then on that South Africa trip, I, I went on a journey on my own to like go, to go bungee jump. And I left all the 60 kids and, and everyone I knew. And then again, I made more friends. And then I saw how like, um, you know, I built a website for a nonprofit in South Africa and, and they were mind blown that I knew how to use WordPress and just kind of click and drag and drop stuff to build a website. To me, that wasn't a big deal. And, um, it was just exciting to see different perspectives. Like what, how do you, how do you think that's mind blowing? I don't think that's mind blowing or, or, you know, even taste new foods and stuff. And I, so then I went to, I, again, like I said, I had to go with Dr. Moore again. I was like, Dr. Moore has another study abroad to China. I'm going. And then I went there and we got to teach English. And again, we saw another part of the world with a lot of, um, again, they have, they have a lot of wealth, but also a lot of poverty, you know? And we saw the, where these migrant children lived, a family of four lived in a, a room, the size of my room, that was their entire house. And they had one bed that was made out of concrete. Um, and, and throughout all this, I kept facing like fears. Um, I kept, uh, cause it, it was another in South Africa. They, they, they spoke English in China. They didn't. And, uh, most people didn't. And so it was like, can I make friends with people who don't speak like my language and, and it didn't really happen in China, but it was just the beginnings of it. I started talking to more people. I started to see like, you can still communicate with almost no language. And it wasn't until I got to Thailand where I spent six months that I built really deep connections with a lady who, uh, who owned a restaurant and I would go there every day. And by the end of it, she like, she cried on my shoulder and I was like, wow, human connection goes deeper than, uh, than just words. Um, I did Muay Thai and, and I, uh, I, I connected with my, my trainers and we went on adventures together. So I began to see like this human connection. Uh, I don't know. It's first of all, it's, it's, it's a thing that I loved. I started to understand. I love connecting with new people and, and every time, every time, every time I meet someone new, they teach me something. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, I remember in Thailand, I one of the biggest lessons I got, I was looking at the most beautiful sunset uh, on the beach. I was in the water and I was like, I'm living the millionaire life. I'm like, this is amazing. And then I, I realized I was going to go home and not be able, I was beginning to be able to tell my friends, like, yo, I was at this beach. Um, they're just going to be, they were just going to say like, oh, that's cool. It wasn't going to be like, if I told you, Devin, you remember when, when we get, went to go pet those lions, we didn't do that. But like, you remember when we were in South Africa and you'd be like, yeah, you know, we, we experienced it together. And I realized I would not, I didn't want to be, I didn't want my life to be just about the money because then I could possibly end up where I was, which was alone, having awesome experiences. But again, it's, it's alone. Yeah. So I understood that for me, one of the biggest things is people and, um, yeah, I, I came back and I became more of a people person with my family. I used to cousins that I didn't talk to a lot. I started talking to them more because I understood like, wow, uh, if I don't talk to them now, I could grow up to be kind of like, like my dad or my mom who don't know. No, my mom knows them, but 
think my dad doesn't have talk to his family as much. And I don't want to be like that because I saw what, what it would be like in Thailand. And um, yeah, I just, it was, uh, I think when you go to another country, it's like steroids for personal growth. Because mm. like, it's completely new. It's like going to, have you ever gone to college? Anybody who's gone off to college, all the stuff you learned by living by yourself, imagine that and, and you up it, you, you take it up a notch because now it's different culture. Um, like so yeah. For personal growth. And I also found it really compelling what you were saying, you know, sometimes it's like you have to travel to the other end of the world to better understand your country, your family and yourself. Right. And, mm -hmm. and, and what, what do you want to come of your life? What do you, what kind of relationship do you want to have with your family? What kind of relationship do you want to have with your country? Mm -hmm. and, and I, I had a similar experience in Southeast Asia, man, where I was just beautiful places, like yeah. gorgeous, you know, things that like rappers rap about, rich people talk about. And you're like, yeah. man, I'm experiencing this, right? Like I'm, and it's not expensive once you're there, right? It's just easy to yeah. navigate and get around. And, but yeah, like, consistently doing it by myself felt empty because mm -hmm. I'm like, it's great. And I love traveling by myself, but I realized like at that point, I realized I can't continue to do this all by myself. I, I, I want to share this with someone, right? Like yeah. it, it helped me become less selfish in terms of dating, right. And relationships. I think when I came back from my, my, experience in Korea and I came back, I, I realized like I was going to have to grow and I could no longer, you know, if I really wanted to experience those things with somebody that I loved and cared about, I was going to have to grow and challenge myself in those areas or, or I'm going to keep doing everything by myself, right? And keep being all about yeah. me. Because you can easily, I think when you're traveling, fall in love with yourself and your adventures yeah, and the freedom and the flexibility and the ambiguity and just you know, never want to turn back and, and just go, you know, I know so many people who, who are still abroad. And while I, you know, I think it's great and admirable. I'm, there's also, for me, I think it's a privilege, you know, not everybody can go live anywhere in the world. Like most Americans can, if we so choose to do, however, right. There's a lot of issues here in this country that oftentimes affect our community. So it's like, well, you just use the privilege of being American to go travel off and do your own thing. But what about the issues that are impacting people at home and, and, and doing something about them? And I think ultimately that's kind of what brought me back. And also ultimately what also helped me get out of myself and get into more of a the space where I could have a relationship. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, personal growth on steroids, man. Like you said. Yeah. I like how you said it's an empty feeling because it's weird. It's kind of like you go through a honeymoon phase where you're playing after playing. You're like, ah, I'm in a new city, new food. And it's all by yourself. And I think perhaps maybe it's more common than I thought, but you reach a point where you do feel an empty feeling. That's yeah. what I felt. Yeah. yeah. And that, you know, for me, when I was on the trip in South Africa, the 2014 trip, it was hiking up Table Mountain. And, and that's when I kind of came to the realization, like, man, I got to help other black and brown kids do this. Hmm. That that was a goal I had set. I was 22 years old. I was like a life goal that I had set for myself at that point because it was so powerful for me to to peak on top of that mountain. Because realize that it's not about this mountain per se. I've climbed mountains before, but the mountain was a metaphor for for my life. 
yeah. for making it to this top, for setting a goal when I was 11, 12, and I wanted to go to Africa. And finally getting there and climbing to the top of the mountain and looking out was like, you did it. This is mm-hmm. it, right? And in that moment, it was like, well, how do you help other people do this? It, like, it was like an immediate switch. Like, all right, great, good for you. How do you help other people have this experience? And really, since then, my life has kind of been built around that. And most of my career, I've been working in and around international education and, yeah. uh, you know, trying to help people broaden their understanding of the world so that they can broaden their own identity, right? And, and their own conception of their own goals and beliefs. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a beautiful thing, man. What, what would you say... So, Before you ask it, right. I wanted to say something about what you were saying, because I thought it was so beautiful how you got to the top of the table mountain. And then it's like you reached the end of this journey that you've been on and you finally understand something about yourself that you didn't understand before, which is like, oh, I want to help other people do this. Mm-hmm. And I think it would be, I think it's a beautiful way to think of travel because that really is what travel is. You, you think you're going out to understand more of the world. And you are in a sense, but what you don't see until the the journey ends is that you've gone out to really understand yourself Mm -hmm. because at home, it's it's so easy. Think of like, you know, think of like going to school. Maybe the first year of school was hard, but then it got easy because you've been doing it. So living it or living where you live, it's at first, some things are hard, but then it gets easy. Mm -hmm. And to travel is to intentionally put yourself in a situation where you got to be a beginner. You don't know anything. And through that, you, you learn more about, like you said, who, like who you what you want to do. It's weird. It's weird. It's, it's, and it's like, you don't know what you're going to get till you get there. Cause it's like, a, it's, it's different for everyone, but that's what I wanted to say. Essentially you kept saying like the end of the journey, but it's like the end of the journey becomes the start of the new journey. Yeah. It's like, it's like you reach a fork in the path. You, you, as you said, like it's personal development on steroids, you get to this new, you know, self level of self actualization. And then that puts you on the new journey until you get another heightened, enlightened status. But I want you to talk a little bit about your most impactful experience in Cape Town, South Africa. Mm. I think we were doing a session to support folks to know um, for students from Rio Grande Valley last week, Caesar and I. Um, Ryan invited Caesar to come talk about his experience. As I figured some of the Latino students on the call will be able to connect with you because there's definitely a deficit of Latinos traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, and you brought up your experience bungee jumping. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I mentioned it a little bit, but like the whole story, because it's a beautiful story about facing a fear. Um, before I went to the program, uh, while I was in the United States, I was thinking, I got to do something awesome out there. I did research and I found out they've got the tallest bungee jumping bridge in the world. And I'm like, no way. It's like two hours, three hours away. I don't know. It wasn't anything and that crazy. Thing is like eight hours away. Don't step short. <laughs> okay. It was eight hours away, but like eight hours away, I'm in the United States. When am I going to be around eight hours away? So I get there and I'm telling people on the group chats before we even get on flights, I'm like, yo, Who's down to bungee jumping? People are like, yo, I'm in, Caesar. I'm in, I'm in. And I'm like, yes, I got a GoPro. I got my stick, my, my selfie stick. And in a way, this was going to be one of my highlights of the trip. I was like, I'm going to bungee jump. I'm going to jump off a bridge. And we get there. 
and Dr. Moore and everyone, they give us the, the syllabus. And one of the clauses in the syllabus is that if you miss one day of class, you immediately get dropped the letter grade. And um, I talked to the guys who do the tours and they're like, oh, you want to go do the bungee jump? You're going to have to do a three-day a three day trip at least. And we only had two days. Uh, we only had weekends off. Yeah. And so that meant I would have to not go to class one day. And I'm like, oh, okay, maybe we could still do this. I talked to everyone and everyone's out. Everyone's like, oh, I can't do that, bro. No, I can't. I can't. I, I can't lose a letter grade. And so I'm faced with this dilemma of like, do I go? Or do I stay like I've always done because I've been such a good student throughout Hall High School. I killed myself to become top 10. And at the end of high school, I realized, oh, wow, I nothing really changed. Like, okay, it, like, yeah, you got top 10, but nothing really changed. And I was faced with a, a moment with like, are you going to keep being the really, really good student? Or are you going to like start kind of live? Are you going to go through the system or are you going to start carving your own path? At least that's the way I saw it. And I, oh man, I was so nervous, but I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I paid for it. And um, I was scared of the letter grade thing, but it ended up being the greatest journey ever. 5 a.m. rolls up. I'm up. And uh, some guy named Mahil with long hair comes up in a van. He opens the, he opens the, the van door. <sighs> Ahoy, bro. And I'm like, oh, shit. This is going to be out of this world. And me and this guy, like this guy was straight out of a movie. He, he was like driving crazy with crazy music. And he's like, yeah, man, I do this all the time. We're going to go bungee, bro. We're going to go bungee. And we pick up people from all over the world. We pick up Brazilians. We pick up uh, a girl from Mexico, two girls from LA. And we all go along our three-day journey. We zip line, we pet cheetahs, we pet lemurs. And we're at, we get to the bungee jump. And um, I'm standing on the, uh, about to jump. And, and I, I, like I said, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I wanted to make a lot of money. And I told myself, cause I was so ready for this. I was like, this bungee jump right here, Caesar, is your literal bungee jump. If you do this, you're gonna, I know you're going to make it. You're going to make, you're going to make like, you're going to build something for the world. And then I jumped in and uh, I came out of that. It wasn't uh, immediately that I understood like the whole journey, what I had done, but I came out of that understanding that if I kind of, carve my own path, it's going to be so incredible. It's going to be, I'm going to live a life that I couldn't even dreamt of. Um, and that's when I began to question more about like the system. Do I really want to follow what everybody tells me or do I want to follow kind of like what excites me? Um, and I think that's one of the reasons I, I went to work for a startup after college because I was like, you know what? It was again, another bungee jump. Am I going to go work corporate or am I going to work for a startup? which excites me. I went for the startup and then I left my job because I was like, am I going to keep doing this? You know, I hate it. Or am I going to try to figure it out on my own? And I said, again, I'm going to try to figure it out on my own. Um, that was my most impactful um, uh, experience because it led to everything. And I came back from that bungee jump and I had heard from a friend, Dylan. I don't know if you remember Dylan Atkins. Me and Dylan were so tight because like he was another adventurer. And I, I, we were at a bar one night because it was like us, the really adventurous guys. And we had met all these South Africans and nobody was, else was with us. And we were, we were just having a drink. And I was like, dude, I was so nervous to go. And he's like, dude, I talked to Dr. Moore. Dylan was telling us. He's like, you know, Dr. Moore was actually proud of you. Dr. Moore was proud that you were out there on your own. And I'll, 
to me, because I looked up so much to Dr. Moore, I was like, wow, like somebody like Dr. Moore was proud because I chose to go after what excited me. And uh, that, man, yeah, it's, I think that's led to everything else. I don't know. Yeah. So it seems like that's been a metaphor for your life, right? Like a bungee jump, a new opportunity yeah. to, jump, to take a leap of faith. And, and you've yeah. leaned into that. Yeah, it's, I try to. It's beautiful, man. Um, and I, I, I think that's what happens sometimes when we go abroad. We have these opportunities that we might not have in the States for whatever reasons. You know too many people. You're too conditioned to the particular society or space or culture you're in. But you just kind of like go with the flow, right? You just kind of go with the flow. You get too comfortable. You're, you're in another space, another society. You can't just go with the flow anymore. You, you're, you're not part of the flow. Right. You were an outsider. You're a foreigner. You're a traveler. Yeah. Uh, you're a tourist. And so you're trying to figure it out. And, and these opportunities present themselves. And you took a leap of faith and say, you know what? Whatever about that letter grade. And I'm sure you still got an A in the class, Raji. I did. I did. <laughs> and, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting being in a position of power because similar, like, we have to set rules. I remember yeah. that rule that we set. I was part of the reason why we set that rule. We have to set rules for society or for people to mm. fall in line with that. Does that mean we actually identify with every rule? No. And does that mean that if you are, if you break one of those rules and miss a class, you're going to actually be punished for it or, or get held accountable for it? No. Right? It, it, like, it's crazy because you were to tell me that as a freshman and I would think, yes, I'm going to get punished. These yeah. are the rules. I saw it so black and white. But it's a discovery that has helped me traveling abroad. I've seen like, oh, it's what you're saying. Like rules have to be there because some people, they need those rules. Like it's like, you know, if not, then nobody would show up to class or the people would be out four days a week. But there's something about like if you, something about doing, doing something without ill intention, you know, it's, it's more like I'm kind of breaking the rule or bending the rule because I think it's going to lead to something good. Yeah. And that, right. And in, in, in that way, that's the key, right? That, that is what is beautiful about, you know, being in these international spaces, man. And I, I know, you know, it, I bungee jumped off that same thing when yeah. I was studying abroad in Cape town, when I was a college student in 2006. <laughs> and I went to that same thing. Cause he has the tallest one in the world. And I jumped and I remember hanging upside down <laughs> And there's a canyon and a river. Yes, you, the river. Down, you're looking at the ocean behind you. And yeah. Like, this is the most amazing view I've ever seen in my life. Too bad I'm upside down and blood is rushing to my head. So I'm only being able to experience it so much. But it's like, if I can do this, what else can I do? Yeah. What else can I do? And I think we got to continuously find more and more opportunities for everybody, but specifically black and brown people, I believe, to have those opportunities, like if I can accomplish this, what else? What else? What else? Because in this country, we're told so often what we can't do, mm. right? And, and the structures are limiting to us, mm. right? The representation of how we see ourselves in politics on the screen, they are limited, the roles in which we might see ourselves in. And so I think it's, it, it's even more powerful us, more powerful for us to get outside of this culture, this country, go somewhere else. And figure out who we are in that space, right? Yeah. And as we come to understand that person, that aspect of our identity in that space, 
we change who we are in all spaces. So we come back to this country and you're no longer the same person. You're just not. Mm. And the level of confidence you have in yourself. Mm. Right. And, and I remember you, Caesar, but I remember you being shyer. Really? Do you remember me? I, I was like, how do you? Did I, how, I like the guy who's done 160 podcasts. You know what I'm saying? Not like the yeah. guy who said, I'm going to do a podcast every day. I remember you. Yeah, but not. I, I think you've, of course, as we would hope most people do, evolved into, a, you know, a, a beautiful, more evolved version of yourself. And, it, and mm. it's beautiful to see, man. Um, we're we're yeah. winding down here. And as you know, the, the, the title of this podcast is Black with Blue Passports. It, it, it focuses on Black folks. Um but clearly is not exclusive to black folks. And mm -hmm. the point is to explore the influence that international travel has on black Americans pursuit of liberty and racial justice. So I'm going to ask you, how has international travel impacted you as a Latin American person, a Latinx identifying person, a Mexican American person, how has it impacted your understanding of liberty and the pursuit of racial justice? I think it's, I think I'm going to use the two words, the, the, those two words. I think it liberated me from limiting beliefs. I think we have a lot of beliefs that I think it's good to challenge our beliefs all the time because some, some beliefs are good, but I think we should still question them because you can't, sometimes we can't tell which beliefs are bad. And some of those beliefs are, are keeping us from sending an email or, or do, or doing something that we could. And I think it, it, it uh, it liberated me to see that uh, humans across the world are, like I said, there's a, there's a human connection. Really what you need is just trust and you need to have no ill intention and, and no expectations. And if you go like that, truly with an open heart, you will find more people who will reciprocate that than people who will take advantage of that, you know, and, and you will see, that, that people are just, we're wired to help each other. You know, we're wired to make other people happy in a sense of like, not, not, uh, not to, we're not going to limit our happiness, but, but it's like, it makes us happy when other people are happy. And, you know, you, you, the second part is racial freedom, freedom. Racial justice, like the racial justice. Of racial justice. Yeah. I, I just, I just think it, once you understand that, that like, you know, people are, have a similar, they're, they're like you, they want other people to be happy as well. I think uh, that race, race no, no longer becomes a factor. You no longer think of like uh, a Mexican is like this. A Mexican is a hard worker or whatever, because there's all kinds of Mexicans who are not, some don't work hard somewhere, you, you know, it's just a person. And you start thinking more of like, I want to meet interesting people and it doesn't matter what they are. Interesting people are all over the world and, and you be, kind of become limitless in a sense, because you, you don't, uh, you're not excluding anything, any, 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 anything anymore. But I think the the thing about challenging beliefs, um, is a thing that traveling, uh, really helped me do. And I think that's Liberty. Yeah. Yeah, man, I, I, I agree. And I think if I could just try to wrap up and add on a bit to what you were saying, at least from my perspective is, you know, for me, racial justice, I always thought in the local context, the national context, 
you know, what does race relations look like here in this country? What can we do different? And when I started to travel, I'm like, oh man, oppression is global, man. Racism is global. White supremacy is global. But there's other forms of oppression, right? There's sexism, right? Yeah. There's um, Islamophobia, right? There's gender-based oppression, sexual identity-based oppression in these various spaces. And that might be the most pronounced issues. It might be a, a religious oppression in a certain country. It might be a gender-based oppression in a certain country. And, and in that, it also made me realize like all people, as you're saying, are people, right? And so this idea of racial justice has to be a global understanding of justice. Mm. It's not just about liberating us here from the constraints of white supremacy, right? Mm-hmm. Without thinking about how does that impact people globally, right? And the mm-hmm. world at large. So how do patterns of consumption, politics, all these things that, that we deal with here locally, how do those actually impact people internationally? And what does justice look like? And what could it look like? Who made this shirt? How much did he or she get paid? What mm-hmm. were their working conditions? Okay. Now that I might be able to think and have a face to put on that, maybe I'll buy less shirts, right? Maybe I'll consume less. Maybe I'll take less long showers, right? And and, and when you literally start to see, and you can put a, a human connection to all these other parts of the world, right? And, and we grew up in the era of, of terrorism, right? Mm. And I'm like, that's bullshit for me. Ain't nobody a terrorist. They're, 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 we're terrorists, right? Our mm-hmm. country is a terrorist. It, who, who's to decide who is a terrorist and who is not a terrorist, mm-hmm. right? It made me look back on our history of foreign relations of our country and like, how did we think that was okay? How did mm-hmm. we drop a bomb in Japan and kill 250,000 people with just, yeah. and that was okay? Right. And, and looking at like General Westmoreland, who ran the Vietnam War and saying like the Viet Cong, he called them also called them like the nigger Cong. Mm-hmm. Uh, they value life less than the American, less than the Western. He said that. Right. Which is why they were carpet bombing. Just wow. blow up villages and just it didn't matter who was there. Kids, women, yeah. children, fighters, non-fighters, just leveling things. So I think for me, man, it's forced me to confront our country on a global level, not just think about what are black people dealing with here? What are Latino people dealing with here? Or recently a lot of like anti-Asian feelings have stirred up, obviously since the coronavirus, but it's not like that's anything new that has been part of this country. Um, You know, it's, it's forced me to grapple with these things and how do these issues in America around race, they're connected to larger issues around race and foreign policy. And for me, that is kind of how my mind has been broadened in terms of like what, you know, like Martin Luther King even, right? When he came back from traveling abroad, you know, he got, he changed his his mindset, right? It was these poverty campaigns. He started speaking out against the Vietnam War. He started becoming more global in his lens because justice is a global thing. And us here, even as racialized minorities, I don't believe we could ever really have racial justice here without having a global form of racial justice. Wow. Um, wow. That's that's my thoughts, man. So so Caesar, check if you want to learn more about Caesar, if you want to hear more of his stories, his philosophizing, 
um, the interviews that he's doing, uh, please check out Dose of Caesar. Yeah. Everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you want to talk to me, um, uh, um, you can reach me on Instagram at the dose of Cesar Caesar. It's a, you'll, you'll find it. And it's a crazy black and white picture of me when I didn't shave for like six months. Um, I like it. Yeah. Last thing I wanted to say is for the people who are perhaps still hesitant of going abroad. I do think that uh, going abroad it allows you to cultivate a mentality of curiosity. Because again, like we were saying, it's it's um, you it's a new place, so you have to be curious. And I think you can re- recreate that in your own city. You don't have to leave, and you can perhaps see the benefits of going abroad before you even go abroad. And the way you do that is by simply being curious, pretending you don't know anyone. What would you do? You wouldn't have, maybe you wouldn't hang out with your friends as much. I'm not saying don't hang out with your friends, but perhaps go somewhere with, by yourself where, you're, where you will meet new people, try new things like, a, you know, take a cooking class or something. This, these are things that I've done in Austin and, and, and that I try to cultivate because Austin, for me, I, I remind myself, it can be a study abroad mm-hmm. where I'm constantly having these revelations. And that's the last thing I wanted to say. Um, there's no excuse for you not to have this immense growth. You could even do it in your own city. Yes, thank you. That's beautiful. The local is the global, right? Yeah. So, so thank you, Cesar. Man, it's been great. I'm, I'm excited to to see you know what what comes of your podcast, what comes oh, of your man. entrepreneurial adventures. Um, I'm glad we've been able to reconnect, and I, I'm confident we're going to stay connected. Yes, uh, definitely. Everything you're doing, man. Oh yeah, I'm so excited to see your podcast and listen to your podcast. And yes, man, let's uh let's keep collaborating and and helping each other out as we build these platforms. Yes, sir. It's been Black with Blue Passports featuring your boy Cesar. Check him out, Dose of Caesar. And that's that, man. Happy, thanks for joining us. Happy to have you, my man. And uh have a lovely week, brother. Oh, you too. Talk All to right you later. Now. Peace. Bye. Thank y'all for checking out another episode of Black with Blue Passwords with Javier Wallace and Dr. Devin Walker. Make sure y'all follow us and check us out on social media at DDCE Global, World Walker Foundation, Black Austin Tours, Afro Latino Travel, and keep this conversation going. Hey, be safe, y'all, and we'll see y'all next time.